Well, again, welcome today. Glad you're here today. Hey, I saw something the other day. It said a pastor asked an old farmer who was decked out in bib overalls to ask the grace over the morning breakfast. Lord, I hate buttermilk, the farmer started. <laughs> the visiting pastor opened one eye and glanced at the farmer, wondering where he was going with this. And then the farmer loudly proclaimed, and Lord, I hate lard. Now the pastor was growing concerned. Without missing a beat, the farmer continued, and Lord, you know I don't care much for raw white flour. The pastor opened up both eyes and glanced around the room and saw that he wasn't the only one that was feeling a little uncomfortable. But then the farmer added, but Lord, when you mix them all together and bake them, I do love fresh biscuits. So Lord, when things come up that we don't like, when life gets hard, when we don't understand what you're saying to us, help us just relax and wait until you're done mixing. It'll probably be better than biscuits even. Amen. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. That kind of really talks about how we're finishing up the series that we've been in. We've been on a six-month journey, for those of you that uh, are new to us, and we started about six months ago talking about great lives from God's Word, we're talking about Bible heroes, people we learned about in Sunday school, just dialing in and seeing what their lives are all about. And uh, so now we're finishing up with Job, and as we learned a couple of weeks ago, the book of Job, it's a challenging read. It really is. And it's written mostly in Jewish poetry style. And the book is written by an unknown Jewish author. Uh, it was written during the times of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And uh, the book of Job really was written. He's a real man. He, was, he, he lived in a real time. But it's written for those who struggle with the question of how can God be good when the world is filled with suffering? That question hasn't gone away, has it? Is God just? What do I do, God, when life is just unfair? So Job, as a man, is quite impressive. We read that he's not only a godly man, but he's one of the richest men, most well-known men in that area. He had incredible wealth. He had a beautiful family. He's a great husband. He's a great dad, phenomenal businessman, well-respected. But it all changes one day when God is bragging on him to the devil or Satan is in heaven and saying, hey, I think the only reason that Job loves you is because you bless him. If you take away the blessings, he will curse your face. And God says, challenge on. I think that there's more depth to Job than that. And we read in that first uncomfortable chapter how in one day, one fell swoop, he loses so much, everything he has loses his children, loses all the stuff. And then later, his, his body goes through a turmoil, and, and he is just racked with suffering and pain and loss. But we see that he continues to connect. He continues to lean in. He continues to say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I have no idea what you're doing. I don't know what you're mixing up, but I choose to trust you. Even though it hurts, even though I'm gonna complain to you, I know that, God, you're still good. So here we are at the end of this, and we think, okay, now, how can we wrap this whole thing up? And I thought, you know what? There's some things that the book of Job tells us, not only about ourselves, but some things it tells us about God. So I wanted to talk about that today, and uh, so actually, this message has 14 points, <laughs> so buckle up. Here we go. We'll be here at about 2.30. Everybody all right with that? <laughs> Just kidding. They're going to go quickly. But here's what's interesting, is that as I look at what the book of Job tells us about 
uh, ourselves and what the book of Job tells us about God. I could replace this with any. We talked about Moses. We talked about David. We talked about Joseph. We talked about Elijah. We talked about Paul. We talked about Esther. I think these points, it's interesting, all these great lives from God's word, I, we can learn this from all of their lives. And so I'm telling you, if they went through that, I think that we can learn from that. So first of all, just as we get going on this, seven lessons that Job teaches us about ourselves is, first of all, we never know ahead of time the plans that God has for us. Isn't that the truth? Jeremiah 29, 11, we, we all love that scripture. We all have that plaque in our home or whatever. The plans are for our good, our welfare. In fact, the New Living Translation says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for your good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I like how the message translation says this. It says this, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you hope for. And like I said, here's how we know that God has the ultimate plan for our good. It's a future that when we get done with it, we can say, you know what, that's what I always hope for. But yet, we can never connect the dots forward, can we? We can only connect the dots backwards. And so, sometimes we can step back in our life and we look back at some of the hardest times that we had. We look back and say, now I see, I can trace what God was doing and he got me to the right place even though it was painful. And the next truth is this, is that a vertical perspective will keep us from a horizontal panic. Think about that. How could Job deal with the disaster and still stay true to God? Again, Satan thought he would curse God. His wife thought he would curse God, but he didn't. How could Moses, again, how could David, how could Esther and Elijah and Paul and Jesus, how could they all, they had this vertical perspective that they never lost. Even during a horizontal panic. And look what happens when we get our horizontal and our vertical lined up. See what that does for us? So many times I can panic on the horizontal and I can lose perspective. But when I say, okay, God, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you. Number three is that discernment is needed to detect wrong advice from well-meaning people. One of the things that we learn from the book of Job is that, first of all, people start giving him some really lousy advice. First of all, it's his own wife that says, hey, I got an idea, curse God and die. <laughs> Thanks, honey. <laughs> you know, I don't know if she gave that to him in an encouragement card, get well soon, curse God, and I don't know what she did. But you know, he also had some friends that tried to figure it out and tried to tell him all this stuff like, well, Obviously, you deserve this somehow, Job. There's obviously something in your closet that you're getting paid back for. But you know what? We've got discernment is needed. I'm telling you, one of the greatest prayers you can pray in this life is, God, give me the gift of discernment. You know, we have so many voices coming at us every day, not only from our immediate people in our life, but also just we're getting bombarded with voices in our culture. I mean, we get pounded by media and social media, and they just come at us, and I'm telling you, I've got to step and say, God, would you give me discernment in what I need to believe and what I need to allow to get inside and what I need to keep on the outside? 
There's so much gossip and statistics and information that pretty soon my head's going to pop. But we've got to discern. Micah, the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What is that? That's, that's good theology. That's good theology when things are crazy, when I'm, I'm getting bombarded with all this kind of noise. I can say, wait a minute. Again, what are we talking about? Vertical? No horizontal panic, vertical connection? I'm gonna connect with what I know is true and what I know is real. That leads us right into the next point. It says, when things turn from bad to worse, strong theology helps keep us strong and stable. You've got to know what you believe. And don't get it from YouTube, hello? <laughs> Not everything that you see in your Twitter feed, excuse me, X feed, or in your, your social media, Instagram, whatever, some of that stuff on there is just lousy and it's not even biblical, but we've gotta stand on our solid, strong theology. What did the enemy do to start sin in the whole world. What, what he, he came to Eve, remember? And he gave her wrong theology and she bought into it. We gotta know what we believe. We can't expect culture to keep track for us. Hello? I mean, is it, you know, anytime we hear culture say, hey, we know how we ought to live. Here's the standard we ought to have. We ought, that should be a warning to us, first of all. Uh, we, don't get our, we don't take our cues from culture God's word helped to protect people like Moses and David and Joseph and Esther and Paul and Elijah and Jesus and definitely Job. We've got to have a strong theology. We've got to know what we believe. And number five, the thing that the book of Job tells us about ourselves is that caring and sensitive friends know when to come and how to respond and what to say. We covered this a lot during our outdoor service a couple weeks ago. You know what? We need to have good friends. We need friends around us. And the way that we get those good friends, remember, is to be one. The Bible says if a man that wants a friend needs to be a friend. And when it comes to comfort, when it comes to connecting with people, when it comes to coming around people that are going through difficulties, which we need to know what to say and what not to say. The thing I loved about Job's friends is that for the first week, they just sat with him for comfort and support and didn't say anything. Man, sometimes the greatest thing you can be to someone else is just be there. You don't have to try to figure it out. You don't have to come up with a Hallmark card response. Just be there. Know when to serve. Know when to be there. Know when to be that friend. And you know, my nephew right now is a professor. I like to say that because it makes me look smarter. <laughs> and uh, speaking of smart, I, don't even, I can't even describe what he does. So, but he, he deals with statistics. And he keeps sending me stuff all the time, like I can figure this stuff out. <laughs> and, uh, but he showed me the other day that there's a loneliness going on, pervasive in the culture, but in the church. He said, do you notice that? Do you notice that there's a loneliness that's, pervasing and going through the church right now. I said, I do see that. People are, we're, we've never been so isolated in our whole lives. You know, it's interesting. Some of you grew up in the church. Some of you might not have that, that testimony, that story. 
And I, I know the Bible says, you know, don't look back, back, back and say those days were better than these days. It was just different. It was a different time. But there was a culture within the church where you were connected. You were connected with one another. You met more regularly with one another. It's what we endeavor to do with life groups. And you know what? There's also something in our culture today that we resist that. For somehow, we are more isolated than we've ever been. We meet once a week in the church, maybe, you know, regular church attendance used to be People used to come almost every week. Ooh, isn't that crazy? Now it's like maybe once every five weeks. And we just bump people and say, hey, hey, hey. You know, but who's in our life? Who's connecting with us? I'm telling you, when things happen in our lives, who, who do we going to turn to? And we see people come around us. Caring and sensitive friends know when and how to respond and what to say. And as it goes with what not to say, the sixth point is this, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback when we encounter another's outburst. What is a Monday morning quarterback? Now, the greatest season of the world, could be Christmas, could be summer, I think it's football season. I'm sorry, it just, it just is, I love it. Uh, the pigskin is coming, um, preseason, I could care less, but okay, it's coming on, right? But that saying comes from a Monday morning quarterback is there's a game on Sunday and then the next day, the airwaves and all these talk shows are telling everything they should have done, right? Everything they should have done. Jode said some really hard things in his dialogue when he was in pain and when he was in crisis. And you know what? People will do that. Job said, at one point, I wish I'd never been born. I wish the day somebody announced my birth that I would have been snuffed out and died as an infant I would have saved myself all this pain. What is he saying? I would be better off dead. Listen, people will say painful things, but we don't got to respond to everything they say in that way. Don't be, what I mean by that, and you need to make sure you understand how I'm saying this, is that we shouldn't should on them. Should, S-H-O-U-L-D. Should. Because we like to do that. Well, I would never say that. She should have. Hello? I would never have done that. He should have. And we're Monday morning quarterback. We're watching them go through their thing, and we're saying, well, I would always say this, and she shouldn't have. Listen, the world is full of opinion farms. <laughs> it's full of, I told you so, you shouldn't have, you ought to. We have a whole industry of news that it used to be like, here's what's going on in the world. And now we have a whole industry of news like, let me tell you what to think. They shouldn't have done this, and they shouldn't have done that, and they shouldn't have done this. When someone you know is hurting, I got an idea. Be quiet, pray silently, and try hard to imagine the pain that they're in. So easy to go back and say, well, I, well, it's easy connecting the dots backwards. When someone's going through that, it's tied to being a friend, someone that cares, someone that's there. And then number seven on the things that the book of Job teaches about us is that being obedient in difficult season brings maturity. When trouble comes that we can see it as an intrusion, as an outrage. We see it, it's just like this 
corrosive thing. was like, we don't want that in our lives. But you know what? It can be an opportunity for us to grow. You never stop growing. You never stop learning. But here's the deal about life and about especially a biblical walk with God is that suffering and difficulty will have a payoff if we keep our vertical perspective. You grow, you learn. Don't stop growing before you stop living, hello? Some people's like, you know, they're still living, but they died a long time ago. I'm not talking to the back section. (laughs) You know what I mean? I love you guys. It's that mixing of the biscuits, if you will. There's stuff that happens in our life. And people will say dumb things like, well, God will never give you what you can't handle. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Word at all. Because there's a lot of stuff in my life right now that I cannot handle. But you know what? God will allow me to get to the end of my rope when I've grasped at every one of my strings, and then I'm reaching out for his hand. Hello? Sometimes... The things that we have to endure in life, though painful and unfair. But God can use those things to grow us. I heard this one time, you change when you hurt enough that you have to. When you learn enough that you're able to and when you receive enough that you can. Change comes in process. And just like a refiner's fire will bring up the junk that needs to be scooped away so the purity can come from Sometimes on our life, that, that adversity is gonna get rid of all the fluff. That adversity is gonna get rid of all those fair-weather friends that you don't need in your life, and then you're gonna see who's really gonna stand with you. Or you might look around and say, you know what, I need some stable people in my life because when, when I get into a hard time, I got nothing but flakes. Now, if you're related to them, I'm sorry. But you know what I'm saying? All right, that's... That's just some things that I think that the book of Job can tell us about ourselves. How about some things, seven lessons that Job teaches us about God? And again, we can go through God's word and see throughout all of these lives, these lessons. What Job teaches us about God is what, number one, there is nothing that God cannot do. Job said this of God, you can do all things. There is nothing that God cannot handle in your life. But think of this. This is universe and outside of time and space. If you want to get theological about this, remember we're talking about good theology? A.W. Tozer is probably one of those thinkers. I mean, he's he's like one of those writers. When you really want to get smart, you go to him. But I was reading A.W. Tozer, and, and this is what he said about the fact that God can do anything, says this, since he has at his command all the power of the universe, the Lord God omnipotent omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that he must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for renewal of strength, All the power required to do all the thing he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. Translation, God can do anything. 
God can do anything. The whole Bible is one huge lesson. If we continue to look at it over and over and over, God can and will do anything. Number two is that it's impossible to frustrate God's purposes. You're never going to hear God say, wow, I never saw that coming. (laughs) I had a good plan, and then you made that choice, and now I don't know what to do. You'll never hear God say that. The world thinks that they are in command and running the show. Culture thinks we know where to go. But no, God's purpose is going to prevail no matter who's at the helm, no matter who's in control, and it can't be stopped. Or as scripture says, the will of God can't be thwarted. Thwarted, that's a fun word, right? Thwarted, the the little translation means cut off. Listen, as far as God's plans for you are concerned, no purpose of yours that God has planned for you can be cut off. It's impossible to frustrate God's purposes. Sometimes you say, well, you know, I was going fine and God had a great plan for my life until the divorce and now I'm on my own, not according to God's word. I, I, you know, I was going along and I was blessed and everything was good and God loved me until I made that decision and now I'm out on my own, not according to God's word. Or I was doing fine until I started working at this place and no, it's impossible to frustrate the purposes of God in your life trust him. That's what it teaches us. And number three, God's plans are beyond our understanding and too deep to explain. One of the main messages out of the book of Job is this one right here. You know what? I wish I could tell you that read the book of Job because the last chapter, everything comes together and God explains everything to Job and gives him all the reasons. It's not there. You get to the end of the book of Job and you realize, you know what? Basically, God's message to Job is this. You're not going to be able to understand this. I'm infinite. You're finite. My plans are so much bigger than yours. I will blow your circuits if you try to understand me. There will be a day, the Bible says, that we will know and be known. You're going to have the mind of Christ when we get to heaven. Until then, we got an itty-bitty brain. And his message to Job is like, guess what? If you're going to try to connect all the dots, you're not going to. You've got to trust me. And there are going to be times when we are downright disappointed with God. Job was incredibly disappointed with God. How could he allow fill in the blank? Why do I have to fill in the blank? Why did this happen? Or why has this person been taken? We see this happening with the disciples throughout God's word. You talk about highs and lows. The disciples, they're on the mountain when God, when Jesus feeds 5,000. They see blind eyes open, but they're also there when Jesus died on the cross. And I'm sure they said, where is God when his own son is dying on a cross? They crucified him, and God is silent. No, what we learn is that God was right there the whole time. He was executing his plan of salvation so that you and I could be included in eternity with him. That's not silent. That's working some big stuff behind the scenes. But let me tell you, those 12 disciples and the greater crowd that had been following felt like it was all over. 
We understand it? No way. Did any of those guys understand it at the time when they were walking through it? No way. I'm just thankful that I'm included in it. Job doesn't get answers. That's the hardest part of the book. I, I watch movies. I'm a movie genera- I'm a TV generation. I love, I love movies, but I love it when it all comes together. You know what I mean, at the end? Oh, that's what she was doing. Oh, that's where that was going. You know, there's all these little threads. Some movies are really good that, you know, they got all these things hanging out, and then finally it all comes together. Or the, you know, 30-minute episode where the problem starts and sitcom, and by the end, everything fixed, everybody's happy again. Sandy cheats every time. We're halfway through the movie. She's already Googled it and found out what happened at the end. <laughs> and she can just relax, and I'm just like, <laughs> Right? Life is a series of loose ends until we see God. And that is what Job gets in the end. Not so much answers, but he sees God in a whole new way. He has a whole new picture and appreciation for who God is. Number four is only through God's instructions are we able to humble ourselves and rest in his will. There's a humility sometimes when we finally have to realize that I can't figure this out. I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. Or first Peter. Peter put it this way. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. It's interesting that Peter would say that. He's probably the cockiest, most arrogant disciple that Jesus ever had. And what you see right before the arrest, or right after the arrest of Jesus is he goes through a humiliating time. So he lived this. But he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor, give all your worries, or we've read it this way, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Notice about the timing of this. We humble ourselves before the right time. We humble ourselves before God brings all the ends together. So maybe you need to take a step back, stop arguing, stop kicking, stop spitting, and just say, God, help me catch a breath and know that you've got this. You've got this. Number five, when the day of reckoning arrives, God is always fair. What I mean by the day of reckoning Job went through some very difficult, painful things. And at the end, he found the truth is that although we can't understand everything God does, life will be unfair, circumstances, but God is always fair. Hebrews 6.10 says this, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you've worked for him. God doesn't miss anything. He knows perfectly well all the love that you've shown him by helping needy Christians. You can trust God. We will understand and see everything again, like I said, one day. We can't seem to trust anyone in leadership right now. Anybody that steps up, I got the answers. It's almost like don't trust them. But we can trust God that he is going to be fair. 
We can put our disappointments in God's hands. We can pour out the things that make us heartsick because we can trust that, you know what? I know that God is fair. I know that God is fair. The sixth thing that we learn about God is that no one can be compared to God when it comes to blessings. The word for this point is one word. It's called grace. The book of Job and all these other characters that we've been taught about this six-month series, there's a line that goes through every life, and it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Let me tell you, grace wins in the end. One day, we're going to see that. Job comes through an imaginable, unimaginable season of difficulty, but he comes through stronger and with a grit in his soul because grace wins the day. Grace wins the day. He was an incredibly blessed man, and there was a whole season of his life when anybody looking from the outside in was saying, man, he has lost all grace whatsoever. But what we see at the end of Job's life is that God's grace comes back into play. And that was just a scratch. That was just a millisecond of what eternity is. You know what? I think some of us are on an installment plan. Some of us, for some reason, now, some people have got all the goods in life. Some people have just born into it, right? And you, you ever wonder about that? Like, how did that guy get all, how did she get all that? How did they get all, the, all that? And God says, guess what? That's a scratch. I've got something planned for you for eternity. <laughs> and that grace and mercy is something that you will not imagine. And let me finish with this. Only God can fill your final years with divine music that frees us to live above our circumstances. The end of Job's life was much better than the first of his life. And we see this beautiful ending to Job's life. Life is great pain, is great difficulty, is things that we will not understand, but if we listen, there'll be moments of divine music. There'll be moments where we can hear that sweet sound. Again, I told you about being a movie guy. I'm not a movie buff, but I'm a, I've got a few favorites. One of my favorites, uh, can I, just forgive me, The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> it's a good one. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't know, just because I love movies that are immersive. You just get sucked into the story. And those of you that might not understand, it's about a man by the name of Andy Dufresne that gets wrongly convicted for a crime that he didn't commit, and he goes to the Shawshank prison. And he's immersed in this life sentence with other struggling prisoners, all who seem like they're fighting against the brutality and trying to hold on to some humanity in that dark place. And we see that Andy, in order to try to deal with that and hold on to his humanity, begins to do things. He, he carves pieces of a chess set. He, he begins to teach other prisoners, like night classes, to help them get their GEDs. And he begins to teach, he begins to give back, and he, he tries to hold on to his humanity in that way. And at one point in the scene, we see him do something that 
ends him up in solitary confinement for a whole month. What he does is that he's written these letters and he got uh, the governor to send funding for a, an improved prison library. And when they got all the books, they got all these records. And one was this classical music. And he takes it and he gets access to the office and he locks himself in there so nobody can get in. And over the prison intercom, he starts playing this beautiful classic music. And the classical music streams through all the cells and all the washrooms and across the prison yards. And what you see is the inmates stop and they're just transfixed by this music. You might also remember Morgan Freeman is another one of the important parts of this. He plays a character and he's the narrator of this story. And he says these words. I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I'd like to think that they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in that great place dared to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into Alexander's cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the brightest, briefest of moments, every man in Shawshank felt free. Here's the truth. In life, we will have trouble. Jesus told us that. In this world, you will have trouble. But even within the difficulties, even within the ribbon that we're trying to trace through our life, there's going to be moments where divine music is say, God met me there. And God met me there. My question to you, no matter where you're at, are you listening for that music? Are you listening for that music? David, we, we studied his life. He said that in the Psalms, even in the valley of Baca, that's the valley of the desert, the valley of barrenness, I'll dig springs of water. Let me tell you that what you get in the Christian life is that even in the middle of difficulty, even in the middle of difficult situations, there's times where we just see something bubble up to where we get a glimpse of God's got this. And we can hear that divine music of grace. There's some things that I've been through in my life that I would have definitely taken out of the script of the movie that whoever's going to play me one of these days. I say, you know what, if I could remove, you ever have that fantasy where you go back and say, well, if I could take out this and I could take out this, I'd have been a happy guy. But let me tell you, all the growth and the change and the beauty that God is working comes through pressure and tests and chipping away at the sharp edges, making me into the person. Am I there yet? Nope. Are there times where I hear the divine music where I can just stop and rest and say, even though it's hard, I can trust him. I can trust him because I know he's fair and I know he'll be there. And in the end, eternity is gonna blow my mind. In the end, when I hit eternity, I'm gonna go, I was worried about that all my life and look now. There's so many things in God's word that can teach us about ourselves. There's so many things in God's word that can teach us about God if we'll just look. So this has been a great exercise, and I, 
I want to do it again, but here we're ending. But we've seen all these people, men and women, just like you and me, that learn these lessons that you and I can learn if we'll lean in, if we'll listen. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for stories that happen to real people in real time that we can watch as you navigate through their lives. And Lord, that can give us hope today that no matter what we go through, we're never gonna exhaust the grace and mercy that you have. Even though we can trace back and try to connect dots, you always have a hope and a future that we've always dreamed of if we'll stay with you. Thank you, God, that your word says that those that wait on you will renew their strength, will mount up with wings like eagles, walk and not grow weary, they'll run and not faint, God. But we also understand that they're, the preemptive to that is that those that wait. <laughs> Help us, God, to wait, to lean into you, to release the things we might not understand right now as unfair or maybe even unkind and be able to turn that over into your hands and say, God, help us to trust you in a fresh and a new way. Jesus, help us to listen for divine music even when life seems the darkest. Thank you, God, that in the end, you're gonna make all things new. And God, I, I'm a candidate for all things new. In Jesus' name. I don't know what you're going through right now. I pray that God's word is connecting with you right now. Maybe this has just opened a door and God, the Holy Spirit is speaking a whole fresh new thing into your heart and your mind and receive that right now. If you're watching online or, or in the room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want you to know that probably one of the greatest things you can do is when you turn your life over to him because that means you don't have to navigate this messy, crazy world by yourself. He's gonna be with you. Doesn't mean all your problems go away, but it means you'll never be alone. And one day, we're all gonna be together in a place where we understand it all, and it all makes sense. But we only have that with a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that we only get to the Father through his son, Jesus. So maybe this is the day that you need to say, Jesus, would you come in to my life? Jesus, would you connect with me in a fresh way? Jesus, I want you to be my leader and my friend. Or maybe your prayer is like, God, I've been on the, the outside looking in. I wanna take that first step to become your child. The Bible said, for as many as receive him, we become children of God. Receiving Jesus is just admitting that you need him and that you're lost without him. The Bible says he is faithful. He will be there. And then the church's job is to come around you and help you walk and navigate these broken roads and see God work through our lives. Jesus, thank you for the work that you're doing in hearts and minds right now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And, uh, excuse me, stay, stay sitting. I don't want you to do that. I, I just, up, down, up, down. Remember Father Abraham speaking to Sunday school? Okay. So I'm going to invite the ushers if they would come right now. So this is going to be regular tithes and offerings. But if you mark this, Hawaii, mark this convoy. I'm just going to give you that opportunity if you'll do that. Did I mess you guys up? I said I was gonna do it on the way out, right? Okay, sorry about that. So, would you please stand with me? Don't listen to a thing I'm saying.
That was so long ago when I talked to Andrew about this. <laughs> Half an hour. Uh, on the right-hand side of the room, there's a prayer wall. If we can pray with you about anything, there'll be people there that love Jesus and love you and love to pray with you. If you're online, we've got hosts there that would love to connect you with our prayer team. Um, but today, if you have your tithes and offerings, and if you have something you want to give towards Convoy of Hope, again, you can do that online, so don't feel bad if you're walking out and want to do that later, or if God's laid it on your heart. There are some incredible men uh, at the door with the receptacles, and just give on your way out, right? And uh, I've told the guys, if they don't get enough, they're going to follow you to your car. And just kidding, no. Just give, remember, everything that goes through Family Life Church will go directly to that need. So, Jesus, thank you for today. And until I see you again, I pray that God would bless you and keep you. I pray that God would turn his face toward you, shine his countenance on your life, and give you peace. God bless you as you go today. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org. Or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.